Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. We are in a series this month looking at unsung heroes. And um, couldn't just let the series go by without mentioning um, a local man, um, Danville. Um, four weeks ago today, actually, in case you've been living in a cave, um, he became a real-life hero. Um, his name is Ches- Chesley Sullenberger, or Sully, I guess is his nickname. And uh, if you don't know, he landed an Airbus 320 in the middle of the Hudson River, and all 155 people, passengers and crew, all survived. Just got, like, without barely a scratch on them. And uh, if you missed it, um, he was interviewed, actually, this last week, um, last Sunday, on uh, 60 Minutes. And if you missed that, here's a portion of it that we picked up on YouTube. Just kind of listen in his own words what was going through his mind. touch down with the wings exactly level. I needed to touch down with the nose slightly up. I needed to touch down at a, at a decent rate that was survivable. And I needed to touch down just above our minimum flying speed, but not below it. And I needed to make all these things happen simultaneously. And yet you had to keep your cool. Right. The, the physiological reaction I had to this was strong and I had to force myself to use my training and, and, uh, and force calm on the situation. Was that a hard thing to do? No. It just took some <laughs> concentration. Did it feel like three and a half minutes? Yes, it did. Really? <laughs> really. It wasn't in slow motion or... I wish it had been. I might have thought about more things on the way down. <laughs> Tell me what you saw from the cockpit. I saw the river ahead of me, long, wide, with boats at the south end. We were trained to land in the water near other boats to facilitate rescue. That was where the airplane was headed, and that was a good place to go. 90 seconds before hitting the water, Captain Sullenberger made an announcement to the passengers and crew. Three simple words, brace for impact. I made the Brace for Impact announcement in the cabin and immediately through the hardened cockpit door I heard the flight attendants begin shouting their commands in response to my command to brace. Heads down, stay down. I could hear them clearly and they were, they were chanting it in unison over and over again to the passengers to warn them and instruct them. And I felt very comforted by that. I knew immediately that they were on the same page if I could land the airplane, that they could get them out safely. But there was still a big if. I was sure I could do it. You were. Yes. As it turned out, my entire life up to that moment had been a preparation to handle that particular moment. That moment was captured by security cameras at 3.30 p.m. on January 15th. Flight 1549 approached the waterline and then landed in the river. Hitting the water is hard. It was a hard landing. And then we scooted along the surface for some point, and then at some point the nose finally did come down as the speed decreased, and then we turned slightly to the left and stopped. When you landed, you and the first officer looked at each other. And we said, well, that wasn't as bad as I thought. (laughs) That just kills me, you know? just talks about how the plane has to be perfectly level at just the right angle and just the right speed, you know. 
that wasn't so bad. No, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Um, what's interesting is, in hearing all of the interviews that he's done now, um, he really kind of doesn't like the attention. And, and in fact, um, very often says that he doesn't consider himself a hero. He was just the right person at the right place at the right time doing the right thing. And, um, and that's very often what you hear when somebody does something like that. Um, most often people say things like, well, it's nothing nobody else wouldn't have done. It just happened to be the person at that time and the place. You know, it was just doing the right thing. And um, I don't want to by any means trivialize or minimize that incredible, amazing feat because, uh, you know, I've got a friend who's taken me flying and I tried once landing on, you know, with just a little Cessna on a runway and it's not that easy. So I'm glad I was not pilot on board that day. Um, the thing is, though, he says that the thing is, it's just... It's simply a matter of going back to his training. He had certain background, his training, his experiences, all of those things just made him uniquely qualified to be the right person at the right time, doing the right thing in the right way. And that really, in essence, is what it is to be a hero. That's really what it comes down to. In this whole series of unsung heroes, that's really what we're talking about is how ordinary people just did the right thing at the right time, the right way. And, and that's the whole point of this series is to understand every one of us has a unique contribution to make in this world. Every one of us is uniquely gifted and, and talented and, and we've got personalities and experiences, all the things that make you you, make you uniquely qualified to do the thing God has created you to do in this world. And that's really what this whole series is all about, finding out your contribution, finding your qualifications, your unique qualities so that you can make a difference in somebody else's life. And that's really what it's all about. So this morning, we're going to look at another one. Um, her name is Martha. We don't find out much about her. She's only mentioned a few times in the Bible. Uh, in the New Testament, um, her last name was not Stuart, uh, contrary to some people's beliefs. Um, but her story is found in Luke chapter 10. If you want to follow along, it's page 1028 in the Bibles you have on the seat next to you. Um, listen, this is the story. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to, her, to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. Which, by the way, anytime God says your name twice, you know, it's not a good thing. <laughs> Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about so many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, what is it that makes Martha a hero? Because she is a hero in my book. And I think what makes her a hero is that not that she did everything perfect, not that she had it all together, but, but really with, in her own way, with all of her faults and all of her mistakes, she made a difference. She did something worthwhile. And it made a difference for Jesus and his disciples and, and really had a great impact, you'll find out later, on, on his ongoing ministry and in the last week of his life. And so the whole thing in this is what we're going to look at this morning is how you and I can become difference makers. And it really comes down to three simple things. Doing the right thing in the right way at the right time. It's that simple. So what is the right thing? Well, it's going to be different for every one of us, but basically it comes down to this. Doing the right thing is to use the thing that God has given you. Use what God has given to you. Over and over in Jesus' teaching, he kept saying over and over again, the greatest among you will be your servant. He who would be first must be last. 
That, 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 that servanthood is the greatest thing, the greatest accomplishment you can do. It's the greatest thing you could do with your life. And, and by the way, the word servant there, we often, it's translated very often into English, minister, which sounds really, you know, special. And, you know, but a, a servant, is sim- a minister is simply a servant. A servant is simply a minister. There is nowhere in the New Testament there is a special class of people who get special education who are ministers, you know, paid ministers. Ministry is everybody's job because we're all called to be servants. And being a servant is simply being attentive and available. Now, I read this story, and I've heard a lot of sermons done on Martha and, and Mary and this whole thing. And i got to tell you honest with you, I think Martha gets a raw deal. Okay? I think she just gets a, really lo- a lot of bad press. It's simply a way that all of you passives make all of us type A's make feel guilty. You know? That's what it is. Um, because the truth is, all of us are different. There are those of us in this room that our natural personality is activity. That, that's, that's, we're just naturally active. We do things, okay? And the rest of you, you're just lazy. No. Um, some of us are more contemplative. Some of us enjoy solitude and time alone and just reading or reflecting and thinking about great things and, and deep thoughts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and we're different. Everybody is different. The thing about Martha is she was just being herself. And what she did was she offered something that she had to meet and serve a real need. That's what we're told. Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way, by the way, to Jerusalem. And they come to this village of Bethany. And it says, when they came to the village, there's a woman named Martha who opened her home to him. Now, that was really, really important. Because it was a much-needed gift. If you read through the Gospels, you find over and over again things like this being said about Jesus. In Mark chapter 6, he says to his disciples, there were so many people coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Because as Jesus became more and more popular and more and more crowds started following around, it was tough to get away and just get a chance to rest. And Martha's home became one of those places. You read the Gospels and it's very often he made his way to Bethany. In fact, the indication is he was there on a regular basis because it was a place where he could get away when everybody wanted something from him and everybody was asking something of him and everybody wanted to listen to him and everybody was following him. He needed to get away and get some rest. And Martha provided that kind of a place. And all she simply did was open her home. But her hospitality had a huge impact on Jesus' ministry. In fact... In fact, we are told in John's gospel, the beginning of his very last week on this earth, as he was making his way to Jerusalem for the very last time where he would be arrested and crucified, put to death, all of that, that week began at Martha's house. Just as he was about to to face his greatest task, he found a quiet place at Martha's home. Martha had a family. She had a brother named Lazarus, became very, very famous, raised from the dead, you've heard about him, and a sister named Mary. Chances are Martha was the oldest, kind of like a you know, big sister, a lot of qualities in there that you get picked up from that. Quite likely, scholars believe she might have been a, a widow because typically uh, a woman wouldn't be a homeowner. It would be in the man's name, but she's got a home. She has something that has come into her possession, and what she does is she sees, this is not mine to keep to myself. This is not just my safe place. This can be a safe place for everyone. And because she did that, Jesus had a place. And it became more and more important 
as you get, got closer and closer to that last week on earth. And see, that's the deal. Most of meaningful ministry that happens, happens unnoticed. What makes Martha's open home so essential is that very fact. It's unnoticed. It's a place nobody else knows about. When we were first starting Northgate, and uh, I was by vocation. I was working in construction. I was doing that part-time. I was trying to start a church part-time. And, um, you know, really, really busy. I had no time off, no time to get away. Didn't have the money to go on vacation at all. And um, there was a lady in the church that we had started um, Northgate from in San Francisco. She happened to own a unit at Silverado. And she told us when we moved up here, she said, anytime you need it, you just give me a call and it's yours. If it's available, it's yours. All you got to do is cover the, the maid service, which is like $25. Anybody know how much it costs to spend a night in Silverado? <laughs> it was out of my league, let me tell you. But she provided a place where we could just go and rest because we couldn't afford to take vacations. And it was a very, very meaningful thing to me and my family, I can tell you. Now, she has since sold it. So if there's anybody here that would like to volunteer to take her spot, you know, talk to me afterwards. No. The deal was she had something and she made it available. And that's simply what it means. That's what it means to be a servant. To understand you have something that you could offer for the master's use. And that was a pretty big thing because hospitality was no light thing in those days. And, and you didn't get advanced warning. Nobody called and said, hey, we're coming through town. Can we come, you know, stop by for a little while? This came probably unexpected. But she had this ability to welcome in 13 people into her home, into her home and feed them and make them feel just at home. And I think that's a very, very important thing. Because the deal is everybody has something to offer. Every one of us in this room has something to offer without exception. Everyone in this room has certain spiritual gifts that God has given you. You have certain talents. You have certain abilities. Your experience brings something to the table for other people. Your personality can be such that it helps other people. And anytime you do that, anytime you offer what you have, what you are doing is you are getting a sense of why it is God created you. You are doing the thing you were created to do. Daryl Johnson a professor at Regent College says this, In Jesus, we discover that God understands being God in terms of servanthood. We, therefore, are most what we were created to be when we empty ourselves and take the form of a servant. Deep down, we know this is true, which is why people, even if they are not yet followers of Jesus, feel something good and right and congruent when they serve. Because that's how you were created. We are created with these gifts. You have something to offer. You have a contribution to make. Every one of us do that. And we talk about that a lot around here. It is an integral part of the discipleship process. We have described it here at Northgate. That discipleship process is connecting with God on a regular basis, maintaining that relationship with Him, caring in a small community group, doing life with other believers in a smaller group setting, serving one another by using your gifts to, to, to better the body of Christ, to help someone else, and then to share this message that God has given to you with the world around you. That's the discipleship process. And far too often, Christians get the first two down and they stop. <laughs> and they think, well, I go to church and I get this time with God and, I, and maybe I'm a small group and I have a time with other people, but that's about it. 
and you are missing out. You are missing out on a key part of the discipleship process. And I know I talk about it a lot, and we keep emphasizing a lot around here, and I'm sure some of you are saying, when are you going to get off this servanthood kick? And I'll tell you, when we have 100% participation, I will stop. I will stop. (laughs) When every one of us finds our gifts and where we were created to serve and are doing it, then I'll stop. But until then, we all have a lot to learn in this. Paul wrote to the Galatian church, as we have opportunity, when we have the opportunity, he says, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Peter wrote, each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. When you serve, when you use your gifts, when you open your home, when you give some of your time, When you use your experiences to help somebody else, what you are doing is administering God's grace. You are extending His grace to somebody else. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. Around here, we have a lot of behind-the-scenes opportunities that you might think, I don't have anything to offer. Yes, you do. We have one thing. We have one of the things that one of the qualifications that we had from the city when we built our building here on this property, because we're just outside the response time of a fire of the fire department. One of the things we are required to do is have every time we have a gathering of 25 or more people to have a medical responder on campus. Okay, we need people to do that. Anytime we have a gathering here, just 25 people or more. And and the thing is, you can get trained in this. Anybody can do that. You know, you don't have to be a doctor or a nurse. Anybody can do it. In fact, you get training in CPR, and then you, get, you can get training in this thing. It's called an AED. It's a really cool thing. It's a vest. You know, you, you watch on um, uh, Rampart, you know, it's clear, and you push the buttons and the paddles and the whole thing. This vest does that automatically, okay? You get training to be able to put that vest. Somebody has a heart attack, you know, you put it on their vest, you just plug it in, and it automatically does it. And you get to go, whoa, save a life. You, know? you can get that training, And anybody can do that. Anybody can. March 7th is a training. You can do it. (laughs) There's another thing. We have around here, we have a group of men who gather twice a month on Tuesday evenings just to pray. Just to pray for the needs in the church, for the leadership of the church, for for our communities, for all that's going on around us. And you can do that. In fact, we have a, a, a couple of women now who have said, you know, we want to do that too. And so starting next month, we've got a brand new women's prayer gathering that's going to start on Thursday evenings. And you can get involved in that. And it's a behind-the-scenes thing, thing, but you know what? It is powerful stuff when God's people pray because you're inviting God's power into the situation. You could do that. Any woman in this room can be a part of that. The men, you've got to go to the other one, okay? Here's another one. We have a counseling ministry around here. Now, that takes a little more training. But if you are empathetic, if you've got an ability to to listen to people and to help people who are going through difficult times, you can be a part. You can take the training for that. It's a little bit more training than some of the other things, but you could do that. There's one more thing. Next month, we are starting a Sunday evening worship service, starting at 6 o'clock, Sunday, March 1st. It's an opportunity to extend our outreach to another group of people who work on Sundays. And, And you can be a part of that. We need about 45, 50 people to commit to just going to church at a different time. Now, I told the first service people, you know, you're early risers anyway, so you probably wouldn't get But you 11 o'clock people, you could get off on this. I know you could, okay? <laughs> you had a hard time getting here by 11. Okay, anybody who came late today, I expect to see you signing up. No. 
but just to provide um, a, a place of worship for people so that our guests come in and feel like, oh, this is a place I could be a part of. In fact, next Sunday, we've made um, some door hangers, and we're just going to ask people to take 10 of them with you and just in your neighborhood, just go hang it. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to do anything. Just hang it on at somebody's doorknob and let people know here's a new opportunity. See, there are lots of things you can do without having a whole lot of training. And they're behind the scenes thing, and you think they don't make a difference. Yes, they do. We had just a small group of people go out and hand out flyers about our Christmas Eve service. We had five new families come Christmas Eve because somebody handed them a card and said, why don't you come? And they become a part of the church. It's that simple. It's just simply doing what things that God has gifted you to do using what God has gifted you. Now, it's not just doing the right thing. There's another aspect to it. There's also doing it the right way, and that very often comes down to attitude. And the biggest thing when it comes to doing it the right way is avoiding the comparison trap. See, inherent, for those of us who are more the actives, there is this inherent tendency to want to compare ourselves with somebody else because those who are active tend to notice those who are not. (laughs) And as you're serving, you begin to notice, how come they're not serving like I am? And and here's the deal. When you're an active kind of personality and you get involved and you start doing things, one of the first things happens, you do something good or you, you do an active service or you're helping some way, and one of the first responses, one of the first things that pops into your brain is, wow, I did something good. Look at me, God. How come everybody else can't be as good as I am? You know? And that's what starts to happen. Now, none of you had that problem. I know it's just me. But that's what's going on with Martha. She is an active person, and she's using what she's got, and she's serving Jesus. But the trouble is she's got a sister who doesn't have the same personality. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. And the problem and the mistake that Martha made was she thought because her act of loving Jesus was to serve him, she thought everybody ought to be serving in that way. And when she looks at Mary, who is not, she starts to get a little perturbed. Now, some of you husbands can relate to this, you know, or maybe some of you wives can relate to this, you know. Um, Dinner has been served, it's been prepared, it's been served, and cleaning up the dishes afterwards, you know, and one or the other of you goes into the other room to watch TV while the other one's left to clean up the dishes, Can anybody relate to this? Okay. You know, when you're cleaning up the dishes and you hear the TV on in the other room and you think to yourself, you start thinking to yourself, how come he's not in here helping me? So, you know, you're loading up the dishwasher, but you start rattling the pots and pans a little bit louder, which only makes the TV volume go up a little bit louder, right? You know, you start slamming clubber doors, you know, and the, the volume just keeps going up, you know, and you think they would get the hint and come in and help you, but no, no, they just keep watching TV. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. Martha is preparing a meal. She's working really, really hard. And she looks over, and her sister's just kind of sitting around. And at first, she's kind of a little annoyed. So, you know, the dishes start rattling a little bit louder because she thinks she'll get the hint. She'll figure this out. But she doesn't. She's clueless. So Martha starts thinking, okay, now her frustration, now her annoyance turns into frustration. She starts to get a little heated about this thing. So it gets a little bit louder. And she would think by now Mary would pick up on this thing, but she doesn't. And in frustration, she becomes indignant. And pretty soon, she gets resentful. And it just gets gets worse and worse and worse. And then what does she do? Do you notice what she does? Does she say to Mary, "Uh, Mary, could you come and help me a little bit? No. Here's what she does. 
She takes it out on Jesus. <laughs> says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she came to him, came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. How did he get dragged into this? This was not his deal. She won't even address it. You know, she's, she's just so stewed up over this whole thing. And, and it, somehow it's Jesus' fault. Don't you care? Tell her to help me. Anyone here relate to that? Anybody here ever noticed someone else not working quite as hard as you do? Anyone here ever felt underappreciated for your contribution? Or irritated that you were carrying a larger portion of the workload? Or maybe even resentful because somebody else got more credit for a shared project than you did, and you did the bulk of the work? Or am I the only one that has that problem? See, that's what we do. And what started out for Martha as something that she did with great delight became a drudgery. And, 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 and the thing that she was offering to Jesus as a gift, all of a sudden now it's a means of keeping score. And everything has changed. She was perfectly happy to do all these things until she noticed that Mary was not. And then it bothered her. And the very thing the very thing that she was trying to offer, a nice quiet place of rest, <laughs> she was missing out on. The very thing she was trying to offer, she was missing out on. Because what's really happening here is she's been given a unique opportunity. When it says that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, that's a, that's a very specific wording. And it has to do with discipleship. It has to do with following a rabbi. To sit at a rabbi's feet meant to be accepted as one of his disciples. And there is no record anywhere in, in, in ancient history, anywhere, that a rabbi took women as disciples. Jesus was offering here a unique opportunity. And Martha was missing out on it. Here was a chance to become a disciple, to become a learner, to become a follower. And the very thing she wanted the most, she was missing out on. Jesus was offering an opportunity. And she was missing it. And that's often what... See, nothing good happens when we start comparing with each other. Nothing good comes from that. What happens is it stirs up our emotions, it undermines our community, and it just leaves a bad taste in everybody else's mouth. We're better off just simply doing the thing that God has gifted us and given to us and called us to do. Just do our own thing. In John's gospel, there's an account where um, Jesus is talking with Peter. It's after um, the death, crucifixion, resurrection. It's actually one of the last times that Jesus spends with his disciples. And they're having breakfast on the seashore, breakfast of fish. And, and Jesus is beginning to tell them about some of the things that's going to happen. He starts talking to Peter. And he starts telling Peter about what's going to happen to him because he's a follower. Because now Peter is going to be bringing this message to other people. And he starts telling them about, you know, this is going to end up pretty ugly for you, humanly speaking. You're going to be in chains. You're going to be led away to places you don't want to go. And, and, and Peter's listening to all this. And he turns around and he looks at John, who's another one of the disciples. And he turns to Jesus and he says, what about him? 
What's going to happen to him? And Jesus says these words to him. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. That is a verse in my Bible I have underlined and highlighted and reminded myself all the time because I get into this comparison mode. And it's the witty principle, W-I-T-T-Y. What is that to you? And I have to remind myself of that all the time. When I think I'm doing so good and how come other people aren't working as hard as I am? What is that to you? We got to decide not to keep score. We got to decide to not compare ourselves with anybody else because everybody else is different. It's simply to us to follow Jesus in the way that we are called to do it. Paul wrote to the Galatian church this way. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself with anyone else. And that's the key. Doing it in the right way is to be able to do it for the Lord. As an act of worship to Him. As an act of service to Him. No matter what anybody else is doing. Martha was missing out on the moment. And that's really what it comes down to very often. Timing timing. It's not that she was doing anything wrong. It's that she was missing out on what she should have been doing at that moment. And that's the deal. Ecclesiastes talks about this idea that there's a time for everything, a season for every purpose under the heaven. And then he goes on and says, there's time for this, a time for that, a time for the other, over and over again. And the deal is this. It is different for every one of us. As unique as our gifting, as unique as our personality, as unique as our abilities and our talents and our resources, as unique as all those things, is the uniqueness of our timing. And the real key when it comes to the right timing is simply focus on your next step, not anybody else's, your next step. What is it that you're supposed to do? See, at that moment, it wasn't that Martha was doing anything wrong. It's that she wasn't doing what was better. Martha, Martha, the Lord answers, you are so worried and upset about many things, but only one thing, one thing is needed. By the way, that's a pretty good indicator. If you're worried and upset, it's a pretty good indicator your timing's off. See, as vital as what you do for God is that you be with God. It's both. That's why he says Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. What is it that made it better? What is it that made it better? It's that at that moment, that was a thing to be doing. At that moment, it was a be-with time, not a do-for time. There is a rhythm and a season to ministry, and it is always a balance between serving and self-care. It is always a balance between times of activity and times to be nurtured and grow. It is always a balance between a time of of activity and movement and a time of reflection and contemplation. And we need both. We need both of those. And there are some of you here that have been serving and doing a lot of things for a long time. And maybe the best thing you could do would be to scale back and stop. Of course, if they do that, then the rest of you who have been doing nothing had to kind of step in and pick up the slack. There are some of you that have been taking in and doing nothing. And the deal is this. If you were constantly giving out but never being replenished, you run dry, you burn out. And if you're constantly taking in but never giving out, you become stagnant. 
and putrid. <laughs> you need both. And it's a lesson that I learned the hard way about six years ago. A lot of you know this. About six years ago, after we had been working at this church for about 13, 14 years, I think it had been, just going, 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 whatever, because there's always something more that needs to be done in a church. And it was just like whatever the next thing was, I had to do it. And I was just pushing myself, pushing myself, pushing myself. And after about 13 years, I just hit a brick wall face first, just bam, just wiped out, exhausted, tired, emotionally drained, just totally spent. And it was the worst feeling in my life. Then I went and I was, went and visited my doctor. And one of the things he asked me, he says, when was the last time you took a significant break? A lot of you heard this story. I said, well, we had a 10-day vacation this year. He said, no, a significant break. I said, that was significant for us. <laughs> and he said, you know what you need to do? You need to take a six-week sabbatical, bare minimum. You need to take six weeks off. You don't go into the office. Don't go to church. Don't go to church. I'm a pastor. I got to go to church. I said, don't do anything. You just need six weeks of rest because you have been burning the candle at both ends. And, and, and you're just, you're wiped out. And so I went to the board of our church and I just, I told them. I said, I can't, I, I'm done. I'm toast. And my doctor says, if I don't take a six-week break, I, I'm not going to make it. And our board was very, very gracious. And they said, if that's what you need, take the time. And the other members of our pastoral staff stepped in and filled in all of those gaps. And I took six weeks off. And here's how sick I am, okay? I got the six weeks break. I went to my doctor and I said, okay, now what am I supposed to do in the six weeks? <laughs> yeah. And he looked at me and he said, Martha, Martha. <laughs> Ken, Ken, Ken. You don't get it. Do nothing. Now, it shouldn't have had to get to that point. But that's what happens when you don't pay, take the right balance. And every one of us need that. We need time with God, and we need time serving God. Just the previous to this incident, Jesus had someone come to him and ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And this is what it always comes back to. It always comes back to this. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he told the story, the Good Samaritan about two guys who were really, really good about being spiritual and doing the God thing, but didn't have time to serve someone who was in need. And then there was another guy who came along who had no knowledge, very little religious background, if any at all. He wasn't even Jewish. He was a Samaritan, but he stopped and served. And the point of the story is it's not one or the other. It is love God and love your neighbor. And Martha and Mary's story right here is, is in real life acting out exactly what Jesus was talking about. There is a time to sit at Jesus' feet and there's a time to get up and serve. And you need both. And like I said earlier, some of you, some of you have been working and serving so long and so hard in so many different ways that you really do need to stop. And you probably never thought you would hear that. But I'm telling you this morning, stop. Because if you are worried and distracted and upset and stressed and tense, you need a time of rest. And if you have been sitting and soaking, it's time to get up and serve. The point is this. What is your next step? Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, be careful then 
how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. And how does he describe living wisely? Making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity. In other words, the key is doing the right thing in the right way at the right time. That's meaningful ministry. That's the life of a difference maker. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.